Kayak Contact Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Good morning and welcome to Tech Talk right here on High FM, where we always try to cover the hottest news, the latest gadgets, and all the trends that are affecting the tech world. Well, in fact, today it's pretty hard to imagine a world without technology. Imagine sitting in your lounge without all the kids playing on their phones or tablets. Imagine them not wearing headphones or reading those things called books. But anyway, those days are pretty much gone. We're all connected. We're all tapping away. We're all finding out stuff, playing on social media. And a very interesting research report came out this week. In fact, it came out yesterday from Microsoft. I tried desperately to get someone from Microsoft on the line to discuss it with us, but unfortunately such late notice. But we will be discussing it. I'll be reading some of the findings, and it makes for some fascinating reading about what's happening online and how safe it is. And uh, the bad news, the little quick headliner, if you want to listen in at 11.20 to all the findings and the sort of key learnings of the of the study, uh, is that the Internet is a little bit of the Wild West. It's not the safest place out there. So stay tuned after 11.20 and uh, listen and find out all about what's going on with the Internet for all of us uh, from some research that Microsoft did. Now, moving on to the news of the week. Um, very interesting week, lots and lots happening. We also in February, February is mobile month. There's no question. We leading up to the mobile world conference, which is coming in, uh, end of February, beginning of March. Well, it's actually the end of February in Barcelona, where all the major mobile networks, all the major suppliers, a whole host of wannabes, people with great ideas, great apps, and just an absolutely insane amount of information about the new upcoming 5G world that we're all moving like mad um, into. So really a fascinating, fascinating, fascinating uh, month coming up. And I will be in Barcelona and I will be reporting live from Mobile World Congress and bring you all the latest gizmos, gadgets and releases and uh, the trends that are really going to affect our lives in 2019 and going forward. But MTN being one of the major operators in Africa and certainly one of the bigger of the two in, in, in South Africa have announced that they are slashing their out of bundle data rates. It's always been a huge problem with the data must fall, uh, people that the, the, the poorest of the poor were affected with the highest data rates. So if you had just bought a SIM, put some money on that SIM, connected it up to a phone and used the data, you were paying anywhere between one rand and two rand a megabyte. And as most of us know, that doesn't go very far at all. So you were using up your data, your money, uh, for data at an, at an alarming rate. Well, the good news is that what MTN have done for anyone activating a new SIM, anyone using an out of bundle package and have never bought a bundle, they will now only pay 29 cents per megabyte for data. So no matter what happens, that is the maximum you'll pay for data if you've never used a bundle on your, your package or it's a brand new SIM. For those of us who've bought, who've purchased, uh, bundles and used bundles, which is still by far the cheapest way to, to work on any network, on any package, is to buy a bundle of data and not go out of bundle. But those who do inadvertently were paying one rand or two rand a meg a little while ago. In fact, as little as, little as a, as a couple of weeks ago. They will actually pay only 49 cents per megabyte per gig 
per meg. Sorry, I wish per gig. 49 cents per gig would be a deal. But anyway, 49 cents per meg for out-of-bundle usage. And this is really, really a big deal. I do expect to see. There's nothing that you need to do. Um, if you're on any one of those packages, if you're on MTN, you've never used a data bundle, or if you've used a data bundle, the new rates will kick in over the next week. Um, they say that they've got a massive data uh, user base, and they obviously can't switch them all immediately, but it's coming, and it's coming really quickly, and you'll see it in the next um, next couple of weeks. And you can dial star 142 hash and see what data bundles are available for your package on MTN. But I think it's a great idea. I hope the other guys, the other networks follow suit as soon as possible. But we'll be back with some more news straight after this. Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose, 11 to 12 p.m., only on 101.9 IFM. Well, welcome back. And carrying on with the news, next week on the 20th of May, which is quite interesting, just before World Mobile Congress, Samsung will be announcing their brand new Galaxy S10 range of phones. And apparently they have been watching the competition. They've been watching the Huawei's of this world quietly grow their market share at Samsung's expense in some areas, uh, and they have retaliated, I believe, if all the rumors are true, they have retaliated in a rather significant way with um, a whole range of new S10, Galaxy S10 flagship um, devices, and unfortunately, next it's next Thursday night, so... Yes, it's next Thursday night, so it'll be a little bit too late to be put on my show next Thursday, but I'm hoping to have someone from Samsung the following week, uh, even live from Barcelona, from Mobile World, to discuss that. But expect to see some pretty spectacular technology coming from Samsung. I think in many ways they've consolidated their position as the number one Android device on the market, and they certainly are amping up the quality and the technology, and we'll see. And apparently, they not apparently, I know for a fact, they've completely revamped their user interface because, as many of us have discovered, a big phone, anything over five and a half inches, is almost impossible to operate single-handedly. And the whole the whole way that the operating systems have been created, both Android and, to some extent, iOS, which is Apple as well, really don't work that well on a massive, massive device. So they say they've got a solution to that. It's called Android One. No, it's not called Android One or the One interface. Android One's another thing. We'll talk about that later. But they have another interface coming with their new phones, and it will arrive on the S7 to S9 going into the next couple of months as well. So stay tuned for that. That should be really, really interesting. Samsung also announced that they are going to stop using plastic packaging across their entire range of products over the next um, couple of years, and they believe once they've transitioned, they will stop using 500,000 tons of recycled plastic by 2030. So they will be a completely non-plastic organization. And considering all the stuff we're seeing on TV these days about all the plastic and all the, the pollution and everything, although I did read an art- interesting article yesterday about an enzyme that scientists have come up with that will degrade and eat up the plastic uh, in the ocean. So man has man makes massive problems, but we certainly do come up with some innovative solutions. But anyway, it's just interesting to see that Samsung are being I think sensitive to the general flow of, of of opinion these days and removing plastic almost entirely from the entire range over the next little while. And here's some other good news from another app that you and I use 
all day, every day. WhatsApp has always had always been very concerned about security and privacy most of all. They introduced their encryption a couple of years back, which supplied end to end encryption. So nobody has the keys, nobody can hack your WhatsApp messaging as long as it well, not as long it cannot be hacked for this moment in time. And in fact the way the keys are constructed, they can't even give the keys to many um to any any countries or governments who may request it. So Communicating via WhatsApp is an incredibly secure sort of method of communication. There was one huge flaw in all that, and that's where it got super interesting. How many people do not have locks on their phones, um, leave their phones on their desk, and physically uh, that phone can be accessed by anybody walking past, picking it up, stealing it, or whatever may happen, um, and accessing your WhatsApp and sending messages, and in general, creating havoc. Now, a lot of that is just innocent. I've got friends who do it just because they feel like, you know, a little bit of fun with people. But truly, WhatsApp messages are very, very private, mostly, and they're between family members. It's not stuff you want everyone to see. So what WhatsApp has done on iOS for the moment is they have enabled a whole new biometric authentication feature. So if you've got an iPhone, any one of them, either your fingerprint or your face unlock will now you can actually go into the um, the WhatsApp application, just update it. It's available in South Africa as of now. Go to your settings account privacy um, function within the app and enable the screen lock feature. And what that will do, it will add an additional layer. Every time you open the app, it will ask you to biometrically authenticate yourself, your face, your finger, uh, before you can actually use the WhatsApp app. And I actually think that is an excellent, excellent idea. This WhatsApp is definitely not something you want people to be able to either view or, for them, for that matter, use without your authority, without your authentication. So give it a shot if you're using WhatsApp, which, again, most of us are, and you're on iOS or any, any Apple phone that uh, – well, iOS only runs on Apple, but any Apple phone – Just go into the settings of WhatsApp, go to the account, go to the privacy settings, and switch on authentication. It's not really a big deal. With the face unlock, it's really simple. You look at the screen, and it unlocks automatically. Or with a fingerprint, you simply touch the sensor, and it'll unlock automatically. So give it a shot. I think that's quite a good move from uh, WhatsApp, and it's certainly worth uh, going from that point of view. Now, as I was saying earlier, World Mobile Congress is coming Towards the end of Feb, it is without question the biggest mobile show in the world. And it's where all the operators and all their suppliers, which is in the mobile telecommunication space, the big, big daddy currently is Huawei, followed by Ericsson, followed by Nokia, followed by Cisco, and a whole host of other smaller players, ZTE being one of the Chinese ones as well, who go to this Congress and try to sign up deals And we're on the cusp of 5G rollout globally. Now, the bad news for Huawei is that America, Canada, Australia, and more and more countries in Europe, England, um, some other smaller territories around the world, have decided that for security reasons, because the founder of Huawei used to be an ex-intelligence officer, and they maintain, certainly the Americans have put an enormous amount of pressure on the their allies and colleagues around the world to say that there could very well be some form of backdoor to the the Chinese intelligence agencies and Huawei could could in some ways 
be a risk to national security. And because of that, they have uh, ramped up their political and criminal activity or criminal action against Huawei globally. And certainly in America, they've laid charges against America. They're trying to detain their financial officer, their chief financial officer, who is the daughter of the founder, interestingly enough. So there's been enormous amount of negative activity and press against Huawei. And uh, that, you know, obviously... Interestingly, Huawei handsets are not available in the U.S. No one, none of the carriers will sell them. So it's just a huge, huge headache for Huawei. And apparently they are ramping up their presence at Mobile World in order to try counter this uh, negative perception of what's going on. And they are doing they, – they've pr- promised to spend $2 billion U.S. dollars in Europe on security um, to, to try to counter the – claim that there's anything going on backdoor. The challenge that they have is that they are very much a Chinese company. China is a very closed society. The internet is completely locked. You cannot, if you go to China, you switch on your phone, even if you get access to the mobile networks, none of the Google, none of the WhatsApp, none of the Facebook, not one application you use on your phone currently will operate inside of China. You cannot, you can use VPNs, you can try to access uh, websites outside of the great firewall of China, but it is essentially impossible. If you do manage to do it on day one, I can tell you from personal experience, day two they shut you down. It doesn't work. So they are a completely closed society in many, many respects, and it is very, very difficult for the Western world to gain insight into actually what is going on in China. And this is a perception and this is an issue that Huawei um, are going to have to find a way to to deal with because they are the largest and, in some cases, the most innovative uh, manufacturer in the in the 5G world. And it may create a delay and, in fact, some serious repercussions for much of the operators around the world in their rollout of 5G to not have Huawei as part of the mix. So stay tuned. That will be a very, very interesting story to follow up from next week and the week after. So we will be back with Tech Talk Cafe and that fascinating research from Microsoft straight after this. FM Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Well, welcome back. And as I was saying earlier, Microsoft released a report called Civility, Safety and Interaction Online as of yesterday. And they, they, they essentially um, studied 20, I think it was 22 countries around the world. And it's released internationally. Yesterday was International Safer Internet Day. I didn't know that, funny enough. But now we do. We all know that it was. And what they are trying to do is create some form of action for all the stakeholders in the in the industry. And, and to be honest, there is no person on this planet today that isn't a stakeholder in the Internet who doesn't access it on some point at some point in their life, even if it's accessed on their behalf by someone at some point in their life. The, the fact is that the Internet has become the glue that holds modern society together. So the safety and the the ability to use the internet unimpeded across the globe is actually of critical importance to society as we know it and as society develops and the simple truth is that in many respects the internet is extremely unevenly spread across the world in some places of the world such as most of europe america some parts of the east australasia the internet is a relatively free accessible place. The pricing is good. People 
can access it at reasonable speeds, and it has become a foundational element of the fabric of the societies that most people live in. It runs smart cities. It runs your car. It runs your home. It runs your life through your smartphone. It's just become an absolute part of of the way we breathe and eat and sleep and, and live in the modern society. But then again, in other parts of the world, certainly the emerging markets like Africa, um, parts of South America, parts of the Middle East, the Internet is used as a political weapon. It's switched on and switched off to when it's suited. Certainly, as I discussed earlier, China, with its great firewall of China, which is the modern miracle, imagine with billions of people accessing the Internet, you monitor and protect and block anything and everything that you don't want people in China to see. So the Internet in China is a completely walled-off garden that exists in the world of the Internet that, number one, the West has very little access to. Yes, there are certain websites in China you can access. There are certain issues, elements of it that are available externally, but that is all controlled. But from a Chinese point of view, not a single part of the Internet that's not approved by the Chinese uh, intelligence agencies or whatever is accessible in any way, shape, or form. It is completely and utterly blocked. There are ways to bypass that block, but they, they actively chase that. They actively change what you do. So the Internet is very unevenly spread in, in Africa you know, in Zimbabwe, as recently as a couple of weeks ago, the Internet was shut down to stop uh, people from creating havoc for whatever reason. So we really do need to be very, very aware of what goes on in the Internet and why and what we need to do. And from a global perspective, the U.K., was number one, and the U.S. as number two were the most digital civil countries of all those surveyed. And Peru was the least uh, digital civil. And when I talk about digital c- civil, what I'm talking about here is essentially how people behave online. And the nature of online risks, and now I'm talking specifically about South Africa, that was found in um, in this research, is the most common type of unwanted contact involved attempts to collect personal information. So, and this was not just now and then, but there were often repeated unwanted contact was now the second highest risk in this category. And what was fascinating is that this was much higher than the global average. So, for example, a question was, I was contacted by someone I didn't know to collect personal information. In South Africa, 50% of those that were surveyed said they had, and globally that's only 42%. And And it's pretty close for the number two risk, which is I was repeatedly contacted through electronic means after I made it clear that the contact was unwelcome. So these people who contacted you initially that you rebuffed for whatever way, via WhatsApp, via SMS, via the Internet, whatever, 48% were recontacted. And it didn't even drop by much, even though globally it dropped dramatically. After the first time, it dropped from 42 to 32% and then went up a little to 36% when you were repeatedly asked by someone to socialize after I indicated I wasn't interested or said no. And that's where social media has become such a huge issue. On social media, there's enormous amount of predators and, and people that want to you know, inappropriately harass you. And that's a real problem. 
South Africa, 47% of people repeatedly contacted after saying no, they don't want to be contacted. And globally, that was around about 36%. Also, South Africans were most likely to encounter Internet hoaxes and fake news. And the former, that's Internet hoaxes, was notably higher than the global average. So in South Africa, Internet hoaxes, that's scams and frauds and all this type of Internet stuff, Emails, WhatsApps, again, SMSs, covering all of that. 61% of Internet users were affected by Internet hoaxes. 61% were affected by um, fake news. And these fake antivirus scrams, which seem to be fading a little, only 44%. But globally, those figures were 50%, 57%, and 35%, with fake news being the highest at 57%. So hoaxes, scams, and fakes are more common than you would ever imagine. So one in two emails you receive, one in two SMS messages or WhatsApp calls or whatever you get could possibly be, in fact, slightly higher than that, could be fake scams. Um, The other issue that was highlighted, which is really a huge problem, certainly affects all our kids, it affects even adults, it's happened to me in the past, is a type of bullying with the most typical behavioral risks that were experienced. And this includes, but it's not limited to, offensive name-calling, purposeful embarrassment, um, dissemination of of videos, pictures online, uh, were both, again, much higher in South Africa. And what the, the study doesn't explain, and which is really interesting, it's something that I've done quite a lot of research and a lot of work around, is is that the Internet penetration in South Africa on fixed is pretty low. It's not an incredibly high number. In other words, we're talking about people who access the Internet from uh, a fixed PC laptop in their homes using some form of fixed connectivity, bit fiber, ADSL, whatever it is. The vast majority of South Africans, and that's where we're talking about 75% of South Africans, are connected via a mobile device. So be it a smartphone, which is still quite low at around about 50, 55%, or even a feature phone, which is another 20 to 30% of the population, these people have access to the Internet on their mobile devices. And their primary use of mobile data, apart from a little bit of banking and maybe a little bit of informational stuff, is social media. So WhatsApp, Facebook is huge. Those areas become the primary source of of interaction between people and news and information and the dissemination of all sorts of of, of digital information, and that's where fake news and everything comes. So I'm really not surprised that the the scams and hoaxes are so high in this country, and around about 10 to 15 percent higher than the global averages. And these behavioral issues are also quite a big deal. 56% of people have experienced someone calling you offensive names, where globally that's only 51%. People try to embarrass you on purpose. 45% of users in South Africa have been affected by that, whereas globally it's only 38%. And stalking, which is the most intrusive, horrible sort of way of being dealt with in any in any situation, especially online, in South Africa, 20% of users indicated that they had been stalked at some point. And globally, that's as low as 12%. And again, it comes down to the usage and the nature of the Internet. 
The other issue that was raised, which is quite a big deal and something that is almost impossible to 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 monitor and police, is the receipt of unwanted sexual imagery or messages domin messages. This dominated this category both in South Africa and globally. Unwelcome requests to share intimate imagery was 17% higher in South Africa than the rest of the world. So when they were asked questions about, I received unwanted sexual messages or images, 78% of South Africans responded that they had received such messages, which is insane. Way over two-thirds of Internet users had had received this type of thing, whereas the global average is 67%, which is still insane. But... Considering, you know, our young democracy and the, 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 the way that we are in this country, that is just an insane amount of, um, of, of, of requests and harassment. The other question I asked was, I received an unwelcome request to send intimate images of myself or others. And 49%, nearly 50% of South Africans said they've received such requests, where globally that's only 32%. And what even gets more interesting is a question was asked, or the, the, the respondents indicated that 41% of South Africans received an unwelcome request for sexual favor, which is really, really, really disturbing, whereas the global average for that is around about 33%. So there's definitely, definitely a, an absolutely <laughs> difficult environment going on there. And the nature the key findings of this research, the nature of the online risks that we're all facing in South Africa is receiving offensive obscene content, encountering Internet hoaxes or fake news, and three being called offensive names, which is just insane considering where we live. And our social circles have become far more risky. Within South Africa, risks from family and friends also increased by 30%. That's a 9% year-on-year increase. Though this gain was not as pronounced in some other countries. In other words, a lot of the, the messages, a lot of the offensive stuff comes from friends and family. And they also found that the pain from online risks was significant. South Africans reported way above average levels of severe pain from these risks compared to the rest of the world. The other challenge then, this is something that, um, I'll just Wrap up. When I wrap up, I'll give some ideas on how to deal with some of this. But one of the other problems is that the consequences were up and the positive actions that people were taking were mixed. So South African consumers matched the worldwide trend for consequences and were likely to say that they shied away from social media, blogs and forums following online risky exposure, which limits the amount of exposure you have, but in many, many ways keeps you out of the mainstream. It keeps you away from the good information. It keeps you away from the useful aspects of the Internet, which is a real challenge. Um, and it's also found that millennials and teenagers, so people in the 35 below age group, were the hardest hit. Again, not surprising considering these these generations, one, are perhaps less experienced at picking up the fact that these things are scams, hoaxes, and a little bit less secure in dealing with uh, sexual harassment, especially from family members or or people that they may or may not know or people or advances that are coming from people in their community or within their, their basic sort of social circle. 
So the highest percentage of teenage girls in South Africa suffered from moderate to severe pain from online risks compared to their global peers. So 68% in South Africa versus 61% in the rest of the world. But there's no question. Young people spend much more time, much more invested, and much more comfortable with the online world. And also, and this is actually in a way a positive thing, there was a massive surge in teens asking for help. In South Africa, the teens surpassed the global average in asking for help from a parent with, with an online risk, 54% versus 42%. And in seeking help from other adults, 37% versus 28%. So there is just no question that, unfortunately, no matter what you may think, the Internet is a little bit of a, a crazy place. It's an incredibly difficult fraught environment, especially for young people, the the curation and the discernment of of threats and risks is incredibly difficult. No one teaches us. We ne- no one at school, no one, even an adult, has any indication of what's fake news or what's not fake news. You scroll through your Facebook feed, you scroll through Twitter, you receive unwanted messages and WhatsApps, and it's often unbelievably difficult to know what is real, what is fake. The, the scamsters and the tricksters and the harassers out there are incredibly sophisticated, and the tools exist to make unbelievably good fake websites, fake uh, profiles, so it becomes incredibly difficult to deal with all the stuff and the way that we work in, 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 in the online world. However, all is not, as they say, lost. And as I said, what Microsoft have done, one, by doing this research, they have brought to light how severe the problem is. They've made at least the first step in awareness around the fact that the online environment is absolutely an easy place for this type of, of harassment, this type of difficult interaction between people, mostly because it's so absolutely secure. You can sit in your little basement, you can sit in your flat, you can sit anonymously behind a, your own firewall, never mind the firewall of China, but behind your own firewall and disseminate enormous amounts of this type of stuff in a very short time, using very low resources, all you really need is a basic computer, some access to a couple of online platforms, and Internet access. And you can create enormous amounts of, of, of scams, whatever it is, whatever it may be. Also, you can remain anonymous. No one needs to know who you are. And within your social circle, a lot of the harassment and that sort of stuff becomes sort of an extension of how things worked in the real world. And it just becomes difficult to deal with and difficult to handle. But what Microsoft and what I've been saying over the years is you do need to be wide awake when you interact online. The first and most critical thing is your password. You, 99% of us choose passwords that are easy to remember, names, birthdays, and and they use them again and again and again. And those are just simple for cyber criminals to guess. The computer algorithms that can crack passwords can do it in microseconds. So unless they um, really difficult, they are going to crack them. So always use a password manager to save multiple passwords for every single site. Do not use reuse the same password every time you go onto the Internet. And try to create a complex at least 10-character Password using a mixture of numbers, letters, capitalizations, and special characters. 
said it a million times. I'll say it again, but it's absolutely um, critical that you do that. The second thing that Microsoft advised is that you really be wary of strangers online. It is common for these guys to create fake social media profiles to foster relationships with unwary users and then they use that to find out information it's part of the whole social phishing thing don't accept invites from strangers in social media if you don't know the person and you have no relation doesn't matter who their friends are don't don't connect with them don't go follow the race to the most followers and feel that that somehow validates what you do Rather, only connect and deal with people you know. And if someone you don't know, find out about them. Follow a couple of guys. Ask your friends, do they know them or did they just follow them? Be really careful. The same rules apply in online as they do in the real world. Don't share sensitive private information with anybody you don't know well or you don't physically know. It just makes no sense. Online and offline, there are lots of consequences. Before you post something online, ask yourself, would my employer, customer, or relative want to know this? Should they know this? Even things like your relationship status, home address, which might seem harmless, can be misused if the wrong person sees them. So really, use common sense. Do not post anything. Pictures of yourself having a drunken party at night, especially uh, uh, varsity students, rioting outside Vits right now. Don't post pictures of yourself throwing rocks at uh, people and cars because one day, it's on social media, it'll be there forever, one day your potential employer will say, I'm not so keen to hire a guy who participated in this type of mindless violence. Same for parties. So whatever you do online, just realize it's there forever and you should not uh, spread that out. And, and lastly and most importantly, do not give personal information to anybody, no matter what. If someone asks you for something and it's critical, phone them, contact them outside of social media or online, and confirm that they need that information, and then go into the branch physically. No one's going to ask you. No reputable institution, bank, or anyone will ask you to give them anything over the air that uh, you shouldn't get. And on that note, I can we can talk for hours about this topic, but... Congrats to Microsoft for coming up with this research. I think it's excellent. I think it highlights a real problem we have in the world, and it highlights a lot of challenges we have online. But be aware, be safe, just be savvy about what you do in the digit, in our new digital world, and you can probably mitigate 90% of the issues that we spoke about today. And on that note, we'll be back with my favorite part, which is Gadget of the Week, straight after this. Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose, 11 to 12 p.m., only on 101.9 IFM. Well, welcome back, and I hope I haven't all frightened you away from the Internet, because it is a huge, anonymous and scary place, but using a little bit of common sense, a little bit of savvy, being just aware makes a huge difference. And... uh, for more information, just go to the Microsoft website, microsoft.co.za. You'll find a link to this full research pack, and I promise you it's well worth a look. Inf- information, knowledge, is the best defense against anything. The more you know, the safer you'll be. And just stay savvy, stay safe online. And certainly for your kids, for the young ones in your life, try to help them, try to explain to them. Share, explain, be very aware that they have access to the Internet, Fire a smart device, a phone, a computer, a laptop, you name it. And all these things are out there lurking about. And there are a lot of really interesting human beings out there who 
perhaps don't have your best interests at heart. So stay safe online because without online, I must say, our lives would be immeasurably more complicated and difficult. So it, we can't do without it and we certainly um, must be careful when we do with it. Now, moving on to my gadget of the week. Uh, as I said, February's mobile month. I'm going to be doing a lot of smartphones this month. I think they're going to be a whole host of brand new, flashy, shiny new products from Samsung. Apparently a great new one from, um, from, um, sorry, my phone distracted me. Terrible, 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 this online world we live in. There will be uh, a great new phone from Sony coming out, interestingly. LG have just announced that they are launching their brand new uh, G- G8 with a 3D front selfie camera, which is quite an interesting thing. They're going to launch that at Mobile World Congress. Um, as far as I know, that among, apart from some other smaller, lesser-known phones like uh, Energizer and some others, that's one of the only major majors that are going to be announcing a phone Sony, sorry, Sony, LG, and Nokia will be announcing brand new phones at um, Mobile World Congress. And as I said, Samsung are launching their Galaxy range, which is a significant player in the market, next week, Thursday, the 20th of February. And apparently that phone will go on sale by the 8th of March globally. And certainly South Africa is a tier one country, so expect a brand new Samsung device with some really interesting features, but we won't talk about that now. My um, review today of uh, of a device is not in that league. Flagship phones are well and good. It's an amazing thing to have the latest, greatest, most specced out phone on the market that can basically launch spaceships, play any game out there, take the sharpest pictures and everything else that you want to do. The challenge that a lot of us have and most people have is that these flagship phones have now pushed the upper boundaries of affordability. They start at 16,000 Rand, top out at 30,000 Rand for a mobile phone, which will last you anywhere from a year to two years, which is a significant investment. You're talking about monthly packages in the thousand Rand range before you use a little bit of extra data. So it's a real serious commitment to high-end phones. And it's been, I think it, in a way it's affected the market. There's no question that high-end phones, sales have slowed down. People are hanging on to their phones longer. So along comes a phone from a company called Nokia. Now, Nokia is a name that pretty much everybody from the age of about 10 up has heard in the, in, in the recent history and the past. Most of us had a number of Nokia phones, and they dominated the industry for many, many, many years. But here's where it gets really interesting. They've come back. They're still based in Finland. The last two, two and a bit years, they have been exhibiting at World Mobile. They've been working around the world. And they've released a really solid quality range and some nostalgic phones like the Banana Phone and the 3310, which are standard little phones. And they've been selling non-smartphones for many years, non-stop, all over the world. But their new range of phones is certainly amazing in terms of their quality and their um, price. And one of the latest that I got my hands on was the Nokia 7.1 smartphone. Now, this is a really modern-looking, top-of-the-range phone at a remarkable price. I must say that up front. It's going to sell for 5999 and in South Africa, and the 4,000 to 6,000 Rand range is probably the most hotly contested range in in the market 
Um, and unfortunately, that is where all the activity is happening. A 4,000 Rand to 6,000 Rand phone will cost you 150 to 250 Rand a month on contract. And it's certainly not a price that will break the bank if you need to, if you need to, uh, buy yourself a phone. And this particular one, the Nokia 7.1, has a Gorilla Glass front and back, so it looks extremely premium. You put this phone down along with all the other flagships on the market, beautifully chamfered aluminium frame with shiny little edges, comes in some interesting colors, um, and it is an incredibly good phone. It has also a really interesting screen. It is a, a 5.84-inch screen, which is almost body-to-body, uh, you know, so there's very little bezel. It's got a little chin at the bottom with a Nokia name. It runs the latest version of Android, Android 9, and I'll speak a little bit more about that now. But the screen supports something called HDR10. So if you watch any videos, um, YouTube videos, Netflix videos, and there are a couple of games that use the HDR10 system, which increases the contrast ratio, increases the color and the performance considerably, um, it really is an incredibly good screen. Very, very, very high quality. It uses a mid-range Qualcomm 636 processor, which is not the fastest on the planet, but in my use of this phone, I must tell you, I've never had any problem with it. It, it breezes through everything you want with no problem. The other standout feature is the camera. It uses a dual-lens Zeiss camera which uh, Nokia have been doing for many, many years. And, yes, it's not as good as the top-end cameras. There's no question. It's not as sharp. It's not as fast. It's not as bright. It's not quite as good in low light as the top-end cameras from the top-end devices. But for everyday use and every normal sort of use, even in low light, even with fast-moving kids or whatever you want to take, it is really an excellent camera. It's fast, it's sharp, the colors are accurate, and even the selfie camera, the front selfie camera, is very good. A little soft, but a lot of us prefer the wrinkles to disappear. So it, it just is a really excellent, excellent camera. The other standout feature is that this phone features something called Android One. Now, Android One is a is a initiative from Android to produce the cleanest, slickest, smoothest um installation of Android with no changes. And in fact, the only app that Nokia modify on this camera or on this phone is the camera app. So all the other apps are absolutely stock Android. And the benefit of this is that unlike a lot of their slick, well-advertised competition in this space, you will always have the latest, most secure and most advanced operating system on your phone. As Android 9 came out, which only came out last year, late last year, uh, that was available on the Nokia phones. So I think that's an excellent, excellent benefit. So many phones, after the first year of use, no matter what you pay for them, do not update. You do not get the latest version of Android. And for lots of reasons, security, battery life, whatever it is, you are losing out. Nokia assure you that you will always have the latest version of Android on the phone. And I must tell you, everyone I've tried absolutely works that way. So in summary, the, the if you're looking for a phone in the four to 6,000 Rand range, I must tell you that the Nokia 7.1 could be the very best of the bunch. It is very well built. It has a fingerprint sensor. You can expand the memory. Um, it's got a great screen. It's got a really good camera. It looks modern. It's well well balanced. It's light. You do need a case because it's all glass. But otherwise, at 5999, it is almost impossible to beat. It's a very difficult uh, 
area for these phones to play in. But if you're looking for a phone in that sort of price range, even up to 10,000 Rand, have a look at the Nokia 7.1. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. It's slick, it's smooth, and it's extremely well built. And on that note, we can have a quick break for our sponsors, and I'll be back with my app of the week. And then we can call it another day for Tech Talk right here on Hi FM. Hi FM Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Well, welcome back. And um, as I said, just to reiterate, I'm super impressed with this Nokia 7.1. Certainly not a phone I'd be embarrassed to use every day. And it's certainly um, not a device that would in any way uh, disappoint. It's an excellent choice of compromises because at that price there have to be compromises. You can't have everything uh, that you want. But it's certainly very well priced and very well put together. And it the Nokia name is a good name, and they have excellent support in South Africa. So have a look at it. I think you will be extremely pleased. Now, oh, okay. Now it's busy talking to me, my Nokia 7.1. It comes with Google Assistant, by the way, which is actually an excellent way to talk to your phone. It's one of the better assistants on mobile devices. So enough of Nokia for the moment. The app that I've been playing with for the last couple of weeks and I've found to be an absolute winner, um, it's called LifeSum. Now, a lot of us try to stay healthy, try to understand what we eat, try to lose a little bit of weight. This is a perennial problem, especially over the summer holidays and especially when all the um, sort of New Year's revolutions kick in and we all try to lose those extra kilos we picked up over the the holiday period. But now what LifeSum does, it's available on Android and it's available on iOS. It is simply a healthy living app. It helps you to lose weight. It even helps you train a little bit better. And it does give you a lot of information about eating better. Now, I've tried a lot of apps in this space. And this one's not a free app. The free version of it is pretty good. It does a lot of stuff that you would want. It's got an excellent food database. So you can track your food in terms of calories, in terms of what you eat. It gives you recommendations of what you need to eat, uh, what you shouldn't eat, the balance, the amounts of everything you need, the proteins and the carbs and everything. Um, and I, I just find the interface is excellent, the information it supplies is excellent, and it'll work out at around about 400 rand a year to buy the app, which I don't think is an incredibly expensive um, or a lot of money for the types of services that it offers. So if you're looking to track your performance or your progress or your the way that you, you are performing, certainly in the food and the activity space, it links to an Apple Watch, it links to Fitbit as well. So it can take all that into account. So if you have a particularly heavy day, it will up the calories for you. So give it a give it a look-see. I think it's, I've just found it to be extremely useful. The food database is pretty good, a little bit inflexible in terms of quantities, but you can figure that out pretty easily, put in 0.5, 0.3 instead of 1. They tend to work in portions, not just grams, which is a bit of a challenge. But still, an excellent way to track your calories on a daily basis, match it to your activities, understand how to get a deficit if you want to lose weight. Or on the other hand, which a couple of people I know train hard at the gym to do, is to put on weight. You need to eat more to put on weight, but you need eat more of the right stuff, and this can help you. So have a look. It's a, it's a really great app. It's called LifeSum. The free version, as I said, is, is somewhat limited, but still very, very useful. And the paid version is actually reasonable, but adds a lot of functionality that uh, 
I think would make things a lot easier. And on that note, I'm going to have to call it a day um, till next week where we talk more about gadgets, gizmos and whatnot. Uh, this is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk right here on High FM.